Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, I'm talking with Leslie Langevin. She is a registered dietitian who helps people manage chronic conditions. Leslie is the author of the Anti-Inflammatory Kitchen Cookbook, written to help others with chronic illness, mast cell disease, histamine intolerance, and inflammatory conditions. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So what inspired you to put this book together? Yeah, it was basically my own journey into a mast cell disorder. So um, when I turned 30, it was kind of my turning point. I'd been getting sicker and sicker over the last the year prior to that, and I started having anaphylaxis every day. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't have allergies. What's going on? So I ended up being diagnosed with this mast cell activation syndrome, which is a histamine-related condition where your cells just kind of go crazy and your body dumps massive amounts of histamine into your system. So as a dietitian, I kind of knew that foods have histamine in them, but I'd never followed a histamine-restricted diet. And so I started doing research just out of my own chronic illness, basically, because there's really not much information on the market, especially not in a print form. So my, my goal was to create a guide for others to use diet to help with other histamine-related conditions, including mast cell activation, which is a really severe histamine-related disorder as well. So can you um, tell us what mast cell activation is? Yeah, so um, everyone has mast cells pretty much all over your body. They're really important. Um, these little cells... Um, release histamine. So there's various triggers. It could be food, it could be heat, it could be stress, um, even travel or exercise. So when your mast cells release histamine, they also dump out inflammatory molecules as well, like cytokines are one people are pretty familiar with that cause inflammation um, and pain. And so when you have this kind of dump of histamine and inflammation, you get some pretty funky system um, symptoms. So it can be anything from allergy symptoms, like a runny nose, all the way up to anaphylaxis, like my case. It can be eczema. It can be interstitial cystitis and migraines. It can be hives, reflux, flushing, um, itchy dry eyes, weird variations in blood pressure, rapid heartbeat. So basically... Histamine works everywhere in your body, um, and so do mast cells. So if your mast cells are a little overactive, then you get this whole like body full of symptoms. So in your book, you talk about histamine intolerance and mast cell activation. So what's the difference between the two? Yeah, so in the book, yeah, I describe a lot about this. So for histamine intolerance, most of the research um, has been done based on the premise that People who have a histamine intolerance, meaning you can still get some of those same symptoms as a mast cell activation, but it's because people can't break down the extra histamine that's in their body. So whether their body made it themselves or they're ingesting it. So the two enzymes are called histamine and methyltransferase and diamine oxidase. And genetically, people are set up to have different levels of these enzymes. And then also illnesses or medications can affect these levels. Now, 
Oh, we can talk about that later with the other um, conditions because there's a, a lot of research around the difference in your body being able to break something down um, versus not. And the big difference is because the histamine intolerance is pretty much enzyme-related. I would say your body can't process it and or it's making too much of it. And the mast cell activation is really you just have more mast cells all over your body and they're way overactive. So they're constantly releasing excess histamine. Does that give you a good explanation? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm thinking of this in terms, um, I'm going to go a little bit off topic of your book, but um, cause mm-hmm. you, you don't talk about Lyme disease. And th- this is, um, the, you know, a part of my history. And histamine intolerance wasn't talked about um, when I was diagnosed, but it was definitely part of my journey. And, um, you know, it, it seems to me that um, when we get really sick or when we get sick, we just end up having a lot of things that that can happen in our bodies and this this for me was definitely one of them triggered by the Lyme and by a chemical exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah chemical exposure is actually something that's not well studied but when you listen to patient stories with a histamine disorder chemical exposure does come up a lot but that's where the research is lacking. There really isn't a lot of things saying if you're exposed to this chemical, or it's really a big mix of, I would say, environmental, whether it's a chemical exposure or your own, you know, genetic makeup, the medications you've ever taken, um, it can even come down to your microbiome, like how healthy is your gut, because even an unhealthy microbiome can affect how much histamine is created or broken down in your body. So I think it's, I, I kind of agree, it's a big combination of factors. Well, and and how, uh, I mean, excuse me, you were talking about how, you know, some of the, um, excuse me, the information is lacking. So do we understand exactly what's causing this? Yeah, I don't think we do. And I think the cause is really the part that people are looking. So the most information that there is, is really that there's a change in the enzyme levels for people's ability to break stuff down, or just for some unknown reason, they're getting an increased amount of mast cells in their body. But I think the the other part to look at is like, we don't know what's happening per se. We kind of can see in, you know, different case studies, but how do we treat it, right? How do we make it better? So even though there's still a problem that you might not be able to prevent until we get all the research, but what can we do about it? And that's where the book kind of tries to help. Well, before we get into that, is there a way for somebody to know if this is an issue for them? Yeah. I mean, I basically, it's kind of hard to get diagnosed with a mast cell disorder. Um, There are lab tests that can be done, but you pretty much have to be very, very, very sick, and there are a lot of really sick people in the world. Um, so, I mean, an allergist is a really good place to start because they can actually run labs to diagnose a mast cell disorder. Histamine intolerance doesn't actually have, like, a diagnostic criteria. So, basically, when I see patients, I just ask them 20 questions and say, okay, do you have all of these different symptoms, um, such as IBS or GI issues, acid reflux, allergies, chronic pain, asthma, any skin rashes, chronic fatigue, flushing with eating, migraines, hives, itchy dry eyes or clogged ears, the blood pressure variations, um, heartbeat, arrhythmias, throat tightness or any weird um, like mouth allergies. Um, And I even have other patients with angioedema, kind of they'll have swelling um, 
which was histamine-related as well. So I'd say if you're a person who has a chronic illness, you can't find a diagnosis, you have any of those symptoms, reducing histamine in your diet is definitely a really good place to start um, just to see if it makes a difference for you. So um, I just want to give people an example of what this could look like. Can you tell us a little bit about how your story started? Sure, sure. Um, So the year before I got diagnosed, and I have a lot of stress in my life, so stress for me was probably a pretty big trigger. Um, I started getting IBS symptoms, really intermittent. I had more like migrating pain through my body, which I had never had before, stiffness, um, had random headaches, more allergy symptoms, and I never had allergies prior. Um, Definitely my anxiety spiked through the roof, which was also really different. Um, And then right before I got really sick, I just had so much fatigue. I just, like, couldn't get off the couch. I had to take a nap. Like, I felt like probably similar symptoms to your Lyme disease. Like, I felt like I'd been hit by a bus is the best way to describe it. And I think a lot of patients with mast cells feel that way. Um, my ears clogged up so bad I couldn't hear anything, and that was related to the histamine, right, and allergy symptoms. Um, so for me, that was, like, really profound stuff. And then I started having anaphylaxis when I would eat high histamine foods. And it took me a couple of weeks to make the connection of, like, oh, my God, it's, you know, definitely what I'm eating. Definitely my body is working against me. Um, and it really has taken time to to heal. So that was kind of my my journey into it. Well, you know, I, I, I actually think it it's this is more common than than what we are giving, you know, it press for. I think it's just yeah. um it's not it's not known very well. You know, when I went through um my my sickest uh years, um I worked in an office that was off gassing and um I was there for uh well over a year and that's when I became bedridden and I became anaphylactic to a lot of foods and suddenly oh, couldn't yeah. eat I, I couldn't eat a bunch of stuff. And you know, I I was then diagnosed with Lyme and everybody just kept saying that's the problem and everything else was ignored and my environment wasn't, you know, talked about. And, um, you know, it took actually leaving that office to realize what had happened. And, um, um, you know, I I didn't get better until my environment was also a safe place for me. But, you know, it didn't matter what supplements I took and what I did to get better. I was just continually exposed to what was creating these problems because I had Lyme well before that, but I wasn't Mm -hmm. that sick. And it was that exposure that really triggered triggered uh, the worst of, of what I was going through. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so true. I'd say for myself, environmentally wise, like putting a HEPA filter in my house was probably one of the best things I did. So even at work in like a normal workplace or someone with fragrances or even essential oils would send me through the roof. So a lot of people are fragrance intolerant and scent intolerant, um, as well as to the off-gassing too, like any VOCs mm-hmm. or anything like that definitely can create a lot more symptoms for folks. So that's, that's absolutely um, similar. 
Well, and and like you said, there's not a lot of studies on what this is doing to us, and there's not a lot of regulation for it either. Um, you know, I've done shows talking about chemicals, and we're exposed to uh, thousands in our daily lives without even knowing what that's doing to us. So when we're looking at, um, you know, the causes of of what's going on, I think there there's multiple things, and I don't want to just focus on the chemicals because that's not the focus of the show. But um, you know, you had this stress in your life, and I, I think for some people it can be um, a genetic predisposition or an illness, not necessarily just Lyme, triggering all of this to suddenly get out of control. Absolutely. Any kind of disruption. Um, absolutely. Do you find that people are a little more susceptible for this happening these days with, um, you know, I, I, I feel like our environment is, is more toxic and our food is more toxic and people are getting sicker. So um, for, for I, I feel like this is coming forefront, not only because we're figuring it out, but because it's more common than it used to be. Yeah, and I think part of it is, is is the understanding, right? So 10 years ago, if I were to see patients, I never would have come up with histamine intolerance. I think it's only from also being aware of new conditions as they come across that it really helps to not only increase the awareness, but how to help folks. But, I mean, you in the newer nutrition research, research like glyphosate, the studies on that are up and coming. And so... Um, I'd say definitely the pesticides that are on our foods also could have an impact with, you know, many different health conditions. So that's definitely the emerging research through is, you know, it's eat organic as much as you can, as much as you can afford and reduce your exposure. Absolutely. Well, and, and like you said, 10 years ago, people didn't talk about this. There was a little bit of talk mm-hmm. about histamine, but it wasn't an obvious condition or contributor to what was going on. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that, that we're just learning about this, and I think we're going to find that it's becoming more and more of an issue for people. With There's a lot more chronic conditions emerging, a lot more on immunity, a lot more chronic pain conditions that we really just don't have a solution for. And I think this is one of one of the um, contributing factors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's definitely an emerging place. And I mean, if people are looking for more information as well, um, you know, besides my book, the uh, Mastocytosis Society, have you heard of them? Uh, no. They uh, they run the website tmsforacure.org, and they have these great um, information sources for anyone who has a histamine-related condition or a mast cell condition. They talk about the research that's going on, providers, provider information, so people can share that with their own medical provider. And then there's great infographics for patients themselves saying, like, hey, if you're if you have all of these things, you know, these are signs of mast cell disease, a chemical, you know, sensitivity, can't tolerate fragrances, can't tolerate heat get hives like they have this nice like infographic so they do a really good job just for overall information and it's it's really well done and evidence-based which is really great Uh, well yeah that's great um we're going to take a quick break we're talking today with leslie langevin and we're going to be back shortly Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Everything is energy. It's all connected. Your energy can be seen as the foundation for your life and impacts all areas of living. Do you realize that your thoughts have the power to affect how you show up? Tune in for Healthy Energy with Margo, featuring host Margo Nielsen. Margo and her guests will show you that connecting to your energy is vital to your health, relationships, money, and more. Listen live every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Leslie Langevin, and she is the author of the Anti-Inflammatory Kitchen Cookbook. So, Leslie, um, you mentioned in your book um, quite a few conditions that um, that can be caused by the histamine intolerance. Um, can you just uh, let us, uh, I guess we'll start with allergies and asthma. Can you tell us how that's related? Yeah, yeah. So I went kind of digging through the research just to find out, I mean, we know all these symptoms, right? We kind of mentioned that in the first segment, but to try to really figure out how can diet um, make a difference um, by, you know, helping to break down the histamine intolerance. So for allergies and asthma, we, we think of histamine as kind of the main player in that, right? So our body has an allergy to something and it releases histamine. That's just what happens. And then you get allergy symptoms like clogged nose or even up to anaphylaxis. But um, there's actually a really interesting study in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition that found the ingestion of histamine-rich foods, such as red wine is one that we think of, um, actually increased the prevalence of allergy and asthma symptoms, which kind of makes sense, right? Like if you're already allergic to something and you have higher levels of histamine and then you're putting more in, you're probably going to get more symptoms of an allergy or asthma or histamine intolerance. So maybe there's other symptoms as well. And this was proposed to be because of decreased enzyme activity, like those two enzymes we were talking about before. Um, And I think the other really important thing is that in allergies and asthma, there's always inflammation. So when those mast cells release histamine, they release those inflammatory cytokines. And I think that's the commonality in all the conditions we're going to talk about. So... You know, following an anti-inflammatory diet, which is basically um, the Mediterranean diet, which has the most research on it, which is really high in fruits and veggies and fresh foods and omega-3s, actually has been shown in other studies to reduce allergy symptoms and asthma and reduce cytokine levels. 
So those are some of the studies I put in there. We're saying, hey, wow, it's not even just about lowering histamine foods. It is part of it, but it's also about eating more fruits and veggies. Like, isn't that so cool that food can <laughs> actually make a big difference, right? That To me, that's always so cool. Yeah, I always, I always think that's amazing, you know, when, when uh, you change someone's diet, it's not just about what they remove, but also what they introduce. And, you know, it, it sometimes can be quite dramatic for people, because if you're um, just removing a couple of things, let's say, you know, gluten and, and sugar, and then they're not sure what to eat, you know, they really are going to have a, a good result because they have so much to change. Because if, if, you know, you're stuck at what to do if you're not eating gluten, there's so much that your world is going to open up with when you start mm-hmm. introducing different foods that are healthier for you. Right, right. And the, the key is basically the antioxidants, right? So it's a lot of people um, aren't familiar with, you know, you hear about superfoods a lot, right? But it's basically there's these natural compounds in all your fruits and veggies, right? All the different colors. And they're called phytonutrients. And they are mega sources of these antioxidants that actually just reduce inflammation in the body and help protect your cells. So the goal is to max out on all that stuff. And that, that helps decrease the inflammation. So you also talk about headaches and migraines. How is that related to histamine? Oh, my gosh. So um, traditionally, dietitians have used a low tyramine and low um, histamine diet for, for years and years, actually. It's probably one of the first uses of a low histamine diet that I ever used in practice. Um, and again, there's association with people with migraines and chronic headaches having a low DAO enzyme, so their bodies are not able to process out that histamine quite as easily. Um, but I think it's really cool. In one study that I um, have in the book, the low histamine diet reduced headaches in the study group by 73% in only four weeks. And I find that this diet in clinical practice is so helpful. So basically people can use it as like an elimination diet and follow a low histamine diet for, you know, four to six weeks. And then you add stuff in gradually. And if you can find like a tipping point, right? So people don't have to avoid all histamine. It's about finding like, can I handle a couple things? Can I handle this avocado? Can I handle a little cheese? So there's a little wiggle room and balance that I'm always looking for. But yeah, it really comes down to folks not being able to process the histamine in their bodies. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing that's where hives come from as well. Yes, and hives can be from allergies or idiopathic, um, but the research on having a low histamine diet, um, it improves um, hives significantly. So if you have chronic hives from an idiopathic or allergy standpoint, a low histamine diet is very valuable to try. Um, which definitely makes sense because we know hives are considered an allergy reaction. So you're having a histamine reaction. It's just that I I do find sometimes people, um, they'll go to an allergist and the allergist will tell them they have no allergies and, um, you know, they're getting hives or let's say the angioedema where like their lips swell up and then the allergist is like, there's nothing going on here. And, um, and, you know, the only thing to do is to address the, the histamine that's causing the symptoms instead of finding an allergy that may not be there. Exactly. And uh, yeah, a lot, I think that's a really good point. A lot of people with a histamine intolerance do not have a true IgE allergy. The body just cannot clear the histamine on board. So if you're putting it a bunch more, you're just going to get these symptoms. 
even though you truly don't have an allergy. And I think that's a really important distinction. So doctors um, might not even say like, oh, well, we just don't know. That's where the, the hives, most people have idiopathic hives. They're like, oh, we don't know. But yeah, I would say that they're just the histamine on board. Well, and I think one thing that might be important to know, this is what happened to me is um, I, I did uh, food intolerance testing with a, a naturopath I, I worked with and we found a bunch of allergies and I eliminated them from my diet. But I was still in that office that was causing all my symptoms. Mm-hmm. So after a period of time, I think it was about six or eight months, the allergies changed and became something else. And then I had to do the testing again and and I had to switch my diet around again. And this was because I was still exposed to what was creating the inflammation and creating the the histamine reaction. And until I was not exposed anymore, it just kept shifting and changing all the time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's that, that root cause, right? It's finding that, that root source, and which is really a hard thing for a lot of folks to find. So you also talk about um, interstitial cystitis. Can you tell us what that is first? Yeah, so interstitial cystitis is basically a chronic inflammatory disease of the bladder, um, and the mast cells affect this directly. So they can either cause it or make it worse. So it really just causes a lot of pain, a pain with uh, pain just in the bladder region or pain with urination, um, pelvic pain, which is not a nice thing for people to have. Um, And it's been found that patients with interstitial cystitis have increased level of histamine in their urine. And then we know that mast cells are like sitting directly on the bladder. So if your mast cells are overactive or you have too much histamine, uh, which is associated with interstitial cystitis, you're going to get more pain. Um, So it's actually really cool. There were two studies using one of the most common mast cell stabilizers called chromalin sodium. um, And then another one done with quercetin, which is a bioflavonoid natural uh, mast cell stabilizer. And they both showed improvements um, for interstitial cystitis patients. So, you know, decreasing histamine in diet um, would be a really good um, first step for that as well. Well, in interstitial cystitis, it can be pretty uncomfortable and, uh, and often pain medication doesn't work and people are left, you know, very uncomfortable. And, um, and, you know, it's nice to know that there is something more that they can do aside from some medication to cover up the symptoms and, and hopefully heal from it as well. Right, right. It's just about those funky mast cells and getting them to calm <laughs> down. So we do talk about some mast cell stabilizing foods, like functional foods that work as well in the diet, but we'll get to that in a little bit. You bet. Um, so can you um, tell us about uh, IBS? First, um, just what it is and then how it's related. Yeah. So uh, irritable bowel syndrome is basically if you have something gut-related, diarrhea, constipation, uh, mixed bowel type, and they've excluded that you don't have an inflammatory bowel disease, you kind of get lumped in this IBS category. Um, And as it relates to histamine, um, folks with this irritable bowel syndrome or inflammatory bowel disease, which is Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, obviously there's inflammation going on, right? It's right in the name. Um, But they also have found that people have reduced enzyme activity, the DAO and the HNMT enzymes that would break down histamine, they have lower levels of them. So folks with IBS have been found to be more intolerant of high histamine foods. So I found a really great study that showed that after ingesting a high histamine food, 50% of patients noted increased IBS symptoms, which might be diarrhea. Um, And for folks with mast cell disorders, it's really common to have diarrhea. That's a really common side effect. 
because um, everything's just really overactive. So you can also typically find an increased number of mast cells in you know, inflammatory bowel disease. Um, we found that in the research. And then for people getting worked up for mast cell um, activation disorders, they actually look for the amount of uh, an increased number of mast cells in the intestines. Um, that's a good way of actually diagnosing it as well if someone's getting um, a biopsy to check it out. Well, um, you know, if we just go back to interstitial cystitis and and then uh, talk about IBS at the same time, um, the the two of those often come together and um, sometimes are a, a blanket diagnosis for pain in that area, either um, mm-hmm. at bowel pain for IBS or interstitial cystitis. Sometimes people have a clear cystoscopy, and but they have pain and symptoms, and um, and then they can have other issues as well that can sometimes be the same thing where there's no known cause, there's no known cure, and you're just very, very uncomfortable. And it, it makes sense and also gives a little bit of hope that, that the histamine intolerance or the mast cell um, issue w- would be a cause and why the, the people with these issues have so much going on that it, that is also a little bit indiscreet where doctors don't really know what to do with them because we're not talking about this issue in mainstream medicine. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that is part of the problem. I mean, even mass cell activation is so new. I think the diagnosis only came out, you know, 10 years ago, and they're still doing research. And histamine intolerance isn't even a recognized diagnosis code. So a physician can't even diagnose someone with it, right? We can say, we think you have some histamine intolerance, but there's no, like, true diagnosis for it. So I think you're right. It's, it's not overly present in mainstream medicine. So, you know, starting the discussion is also really, really important. Like, hey, there might be something that's connecting all of my different symptoms. And as a dietitian, you know, I kind of treat with the same, like, anti-inflammatory Mediterranean diet for everybody because I'm like, there's pretty much the same diet we recommend to everybody. It's really rich in high antioxidant foods and omega-3s and some lean protein. But, you know, I think it is nice to have a tool eventually to connect everybody together to a, a central cause. Not that histamine intolerance is always a central cause, but I definitely think it's worth increasing the discussion. Well, and and what I mean, for example, for me, it, it wasn't a central cause. It, it was caused by the, yeah. the Lyme and, and the chemical exposure, yeah. but it was a main aspect of what was happening. And, and if people talked about it back then, I could have had more help with my symptoms and gotten them more under control if I had known what to do about what I was experiencing. But because no one talked about it, it was very difficult for me to do so. So the nice thing now is that we've got... Um, it. You you know, books like yours and more information out there about about this. So people, you know, a, a lot of people with IBS, interstitial cystitis, chronic migraines, all of those things, they're, they're kind of stuck if pharmaceuticals don't work for them. You know, mm-hmm. y- your life is debilitated, you're um, very uncomfortable, your relationships and your job and everything is, is threatened by this pain and discomfort that you're under. And um, really, if medication doesn't work, your doctor can't help you. So what do you do? You have to help yourself. And your book is one way that people can do so. 
Yeah, yeah, a really good starting point, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, exactly, which is really right. nice. I hope it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and even if, if um, you know, the histamine is, is maybe only a small part of what's going on, changing your diet and getting on an anti-inflammatory diet is, of course, going to help you. It's not going to hurt you. It's going to help you because you're going to get the inflammation down. You're going to get some, some histamine down that might be happening in a background, even if it's not a forefront issue. And you're you're going to start to feel a little bit better so you can figure out if there's anything else that you have to do. Right, right, yeah. So um, you also talk about rheumatoid arthritis. Can you tell us how that's related? Yeah, I mean, I think when most people think of inflammatory conditions, I think rheumatoid arthritis comes up as like the top one that people think of, um, or at least for me as a provider, I think of that one. Um, and there are really amazing studies showing that eating an anti-inflammatory diet in particular, so um, what we're basically going to talk about in the next segment, can actually reduce the inflammatory cytokines, interleukin-1, interleukin-9, and tuber necrosis factor that are basically causing that pain. So when I think of inflammation, I'm like, okay, Inflammation is causing damage somewhere. Either you feel it or you don't, right? So it could just be mm. causing inflammation in your joints, but you're not feeling it yet. But maybe in six months, you're going to be so stiff and you're going to really feel that pain. So by reducing that inflammation by diet, which studies have shown we can do, um, it, it really makes a big difference. Um, and then there has been um, increased number of mast cells cited um, at certain um, joints in the body, so increased levels of histamine in some synovial tissues. Um, and I think the, the best studies overall show that basically eating olive oil and have a higher level of omega-3s makes the biggest difference in decreasing the arthritis symptoms and pains. And then um, to play in the low histamine diet piece of things, there was a really great study done um, that reduced a lot of the high histamine foods um, along with the anti-inflammatory diet, and it was shown to decrease pain and stiffness, and people could get moving better. Um, so that study's in there as well. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, most people know what inflammation is, but maybe we can just talk mm -hmm. about that a little bit and how that's related to all of this. Yeah, I mean... The best way to think about inflammation to me is like when you get a cut, right? What happens? Your, your skin around, it gets really red, and that your, that's your body doing um, its job, right? So that's, that's helpful inflammation. It's trying to heal your wound, but it's showing you like, hey, I, I'm doing work. I'm bright red. I'm trying to heal your wound. But there's this silent inflammation in our bodies um, just because we're, we're exposed to a lot of different things. And silent inflammation you might not feel it, but it's related to almost every chronic condition under the sun. So it's related to heart disease, type 2 diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's. Um, so diet is really important, um, just like we talked about with the arthritis, in reducing the silent inflammation that you might not even know you have. Um, and the other thing is for people with a histamine-related condition, right, any of these things, uh, we know that those mast cells release histamine, but also more inflammatory cytokines. So if you have a histamine-related condition, you are like at that much more risk for having a high inflammatory level in your body. Um, so the way we can do that or make it better is really by diet. Which we're going to talk about in the next segment. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Leslie Langevin, and we're discussing her book, The Anti-Inflammatory Kitchen Cookbook, and we'll be back shortly. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Addiction can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives, but most importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. If you can relate to these issues or love someone who does, start with yourself. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Riss. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Leslie Langevin, and we're discussing her book, The Anti-Inflammatory Kitchen Cookbook. So, Leslie, can you uh, tell us what your um, diet plan is to help people with histamine intolerance? Yeah, so it's it's based on two things. Um, The first being removing the higher histamine foods, and I'll go to those in detail, and then increasing your kind of your helper foods, your anti-inflammatory foods. So we're not just taking away, like we've discussed, you know, adding beneficial foods is really important. And then I basically tried to make healthier versions of like comfort food favorites for everybody (laughs) in the book, because no one's ever going to follow a restricted or elimination diet if food doesn't taste good, right? And I feel like you know, as a dietitian, that's the tool I, I try to give people. It's like, hey, here's some recipes that actually taste good and are really healthy for you so that you don't feel like you're missing out on anything. So for the first part of things, um, the anti-inflammatory foods. So we basically want to do lots of fruits and veggies to remove the high histamine ones. Um, so tomatoes are high in histamine, avocados, even, so these are healthy foods, right? Spinach, red beans, soy, citrus, raspberries, strawberries, and bananas. Those are kind of the big ones on fruits and veggies that we cut down, and citrus, of course. So pretty much every other fruit and veggie, we want to be eating a good amount of them, like 9 to 13 servings a day. So that's half a cup cooked or one cup raw. 
And in the book, it's basically just tons and tons of veggies, kind of in many different forms, um, and even hidden in like a sweet potato donut, right? So there's good ways to hide (laughs) healthy foods. Um, It did focus on uh, gluten-free, so use a lot of whole grain, gluten-free foods like brown rice and quinoa, um, brown rice pasta, oats. So whenever I make a baked good, I always use half uh, ground oat flour, not only just because it makes it taste better, but it adds more nutrition, right? It adds more fiber, and it helps to keep the glycemic index of anything we're baking a little bit better on our bodies. Uh, We want to be eating some lean protein like chicken breast and eggs. If you tolerate them, eggs are kind of a gray food. Sometimes people don't tolerate them, so you have to watch yourself. Um, And then fresh fish. And make sure that the meats are not mishandled. That's the other big one. And they're not marinated. So we're looking for the freshest possible because any bacterial replication can increase the histamine content in the food. Um, nuts and seeds. You know, some people don't tolerate nuts and seeds, you know, from the patients that I've worked with. Um, I tried to stick with more pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, and macadamia nuts. Um, pumpkin seeds and chia seeds because they're so nutritionally dense that if you can only handle a tablespoon of something in the day, I'd rather have it be really functional and really give you the nutrients that we're looking for. And then the nuts that bother people the most that I limited were like walnuts and pecans. Um, Dairy can be inflammatory in large amounts, and on the Mediterranean diet, which is the base of this, um, you use dairy as a condiment, I guess is the best way to phrase it. So if you're going to do drink a milk, do like a rice milk or an oat milk, um, and then use the condiment version like a fresh mozzarella cheese, but skip something like um, an aged cheddar, because any of your aged or fermented foods, those are the ones that are really high in histamine. And I'll use a little bit of mascarpone cheese in some recipes, too. Again, it's like a little condiment. Um, And then for sugar. So our goal is to keep sugar low, and that's part of the anti-inflammatory relationship. We want to keep the glycemic index of the foods lower in the body because that can reduce inflammation. So if we're going to use sugars, and the ones I pretty much stuck with in the whole book, maple syrup, I'm a Vermonter, so I'm a big maple (laughs) syrup fan. Um, I love maple sugar as well. If you can't get that, um, you can use pasteurized honey um, or coconut sugar. And then, you know, we're not purists, right? You know, I'm a big 80-20 rule person. So 80% good food, 20% fun food. So if you have a little sugar, it's not the end of the world. Some people find they really don't tolerate it well. Um, But again, the goal is to just find the right balance without making people feel too restricted. And the big limiter is basically those aged foods. So if I were to eat balsamic vinegar, it would give me significant symptoms right away. So that's just an example of a really high histamine food. So basically limit all vinegars, soy sauce, fish sauce, even coconut aminos because they're all aged, Um, even yogurt, which is a healthy food, but it's really high in histamine, canned tuna fish or smoked fish. Those are some other examples. And then those aged cheeses. So the goal is basically think of your fresh foods and think of it's basically an anti-inflammatory base and we just kind of take out the processed age stuff for the low histamine aspect of it. So um, you talk about like a four, you starting with four weeks. So how do you, how do you get started doing this process and, and just so that people know um, how easy it can be? Yeah, so in the book, there's actually a guided meal plan for 30 days um, if you want to kind of have something laid out for you. Um, so that's a really good way to start. I'd say 
definitely you would probably want to use the book because it's just going to be a great um, resource for all of these recipes. Um, and so I did keep it at four weeks because that's the typical elimination diet period that a dietitian would use to try to figure out, like, what's working for you? You don't want to overly restrict foods for too long, but, it, you know, the base of this is good food for everybody. So you can eat it forever, but I don't want to say don't eat avocados forever because we want to try them back in because it's got a lot of good stuff in it. Um, so it's a really a balancing act for everyone. So I would say try it for 30 days, and then after those 30 days, um, the book walks you through a reintroduction phase. I recommend adding, like, one food in at a time. So still keep the diet pretty clean. Like, don't go and eat a bunch of soy sauce and cheddar cheese all in the same day. You're probably going to feel terrible. Um, but if you are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to test out some avocado, great. Test out one food each day. And then keep a food diary so you can figure out what your symptoms are. But I did find a really amazing study as well that looked at following a low histamine diet for 6 to 12 months and that the patients who followed the diet for 6 to 12 months, their DAO levels actually increased. So that enzyme that breaks histamine down, it kind of increased more to a normal level. So that's actually really kind of cool that you can use it as a tool to help your body just get rid of the extra histamine in your body possibly improve your enzymatic activity so you can handle more high histamine foods eventually, but the goal is still to keep it pretty anti-inflammatory. So just eat tons of fruits and veggies and, <laughs> and herbs and spices, right? That's the other one too. So the spices that are limited are like your pumpkin pie ones. So think of cinnamon and nutmeg and oh man, before I got diagnosed, I was like, why am I getting hives to cinnamon? Like it was just boggling my mind. It's food I've eaten my whole life, and I just kept getting highs. You know, that was right before I got diagnosed. So those warming spices are also really high in histamine. So those are ones to decrease. But the ones to increase are things like ginger and use onion. These are some of those functional foods that um, increase anti-inflammatories in the body. Um, other things like turmeric is beneficial and garlic. Um those are all really helpful things. So when somebody does the 30-day um, diet, what should, changes should they expect to see? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it would be helpful for people to write down all their symptoms ahead of time. And maybe it's not even stuff they even think about. Like a lot of people don't think of their ears being clogged or their eyes being dry. So like do a full body scan and see what symptoms you have. And then if you've reduced, I'd say, a third of those on the other end, that would be a really good thing, and and if not more. So I'd say, are you having less headaches? Are you having less hiving, less rashes? So it's going to be pretty specific to each person, less fatigue. Fatigue, I think, is such a big one. Um, so that's how I would kind of use it is just everyone do a personal body scan and then do a before and after of how do I feel. And then when you're reintroducing the foods, what should you expect to experience if a food is an issue for you? Yeah, so uh, I guess it's different for everyone based on what your symptoms are. So I can give you my experience when I tried adding in avocado like a month in. So mine was, I was too sick to add in foods that early on. Um, but I would get this really crazy spider rash that would like crawl up my hand and my arm and my gut would act up. I'd get a headache. So it was kind of like my symptoms that I would have that was telling me like, okay, we're not ready. 
But now I can actually handle like a quarter of an avocado, which is really amazing because it's so delicious and so good for you. So I'd say it's very specific to each person, but definitely gut symptoms are a big tell um, based on a lot of the research if you're going to be intolerant of something. And, and you said you can introduce a new food every day just to see how it's going? Yeah, I mean, I think most people will notice within 24 hours. So, I mean, if I eat wheat, that's, you know, a really good example. So I don't have celiac disease. I don't have, you know, you can't really get a good diagnosis for a gluten intolerance. There's not a really good diagnosis for it. I will wake up the next morning and my whole back is stiff and my hands, I can barely shut them. So for me, when I eat wheat, I'm like, okay, my body doesn't like this. I am so stiff. I can barely move. So that's why I keep gluten-free, even though I don't have a diagnosis. So I'd say there's probably a very specific symptom that everyone will notice for themselves. Which which is important, I think, also to note that it can be different for every person and possibly different for every food. You know, you're not going to have the the same reaction to every food. So where one might upset your stomach, one might give you a rash or joint stiffness, just like you experienced. Right. I think that's actually really a good example. And like I was exposed to cinnamon this summer and I hadn't reintroduced it because it had bothered me so much in the past. So it was kind of like a passive exposure. I didn't know it was sneaking in there and I had downright anaphylaxis from it. So that was actually really scary. Um, But I think the majority of folks probably won't experience that massive of a reaction. I just have a really aggressive form of mast cell activation syndrome. Well, and, you know, hopefully this doesn't become more common and, and we we um, realize what's going on and people can get better help. But, um, you know, it's nice to know that, that there is something out there that people can do to help themselves. And, you know, it, it's cost effective as well because we all need to eat. And uh, if your food becomes your medicine, you're not spending more money and you're going to get healthier in the long run. Yeah, and the book is really built up. So I highly recommend freezing leftovers because then the bacteria won't grow, right? And you'll have less histamine in the foods that are aging in your fridge. So like I will make a batch of rice or a batch of beans and freeze them up in single portions. And that's a really cost-friendly way to do it too versus, you know, getting lunch out and even cooking from scratch will save everybody money at the end of the day too and make them healthier. So there are a lot of tips in the book, too, which I think kind of go along with that. Yeah, your book is is really easy to follow. So if anybody's wanting to um, to do this, it's not you know complicated. The recipes look delicious, and um, I you know I I think it it's an easy it's an easy process to follow, especially if you really want to get better. It's it's not difficult at all. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so is there any way someone can get a hold of you or your book if they want more information? Absolutely. So I do have a website just for the book. So it's www.anti, and so it's a hyphen, inflammatorykitchen.com. So just like how the book is spelled out. Um, so you can contact me right through the website. Um, and then I have a blog on there um, as well. And you can buy the book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. It's available at both of those places. And then if you're looking for more food ideas, I do have an Instagram as well. Um, and that's anti underscore inflammatory underscore kitchen. Um, so yeah, all of that. And so people can contact me that way. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
And uh, if you want more information about my story and what I went through on my journey to health, you can find that on my website at dr-risk.com. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest. Today we were talking with Leslie Langevin, and we were discussing her book, The Anti-Inflammatory Kitchen. Thank you so much for listening, and be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. 